Yes! Crab cakes nice and football! Nice. That's what Maryland does! Let's go! What you gonna bring to the table tonight? Don't you need that to make the move? Cause the ref gets in your way. You hear them? We ain't apologizing for nothing today. Don't take care of y'all chicken. You feel me? Don't take care of y'all mental. Welcome, man, to the Fantasy Flexecution Podcast. I am your host, Brett Pelashotti. With me now, and always, is my boy, Kyle Settle. What's going on, man? Hey, pal. All right, I'm starting this off because I've kept you waiting oh, long enough. So this, this was a hot topic uh, last week on the Ringer Fantasy Football Podcast, and I've heard it on a few other podcasts since, so I wanted to get your opinion on it straight up. How do you feel... And we can put a dynasty spin on this because that's our angle, right? So how do you feel in dynasty about trades with a stipulation that the player will be traded back, sometimes known as a trade rental? Okay. My initial my initial thought is it sounds like collusion wearing a mask. It's, but, it, it sounds like... So like they... they I don't just to the argument they were making is they were kind of split also where that same thing was mentioned. And in my head and the host, Danny Heifetz, eventually came out and said exactly what I was thinking is collusion is not two teams making a trade where they can both benefit. That's just trading. So what would make it collusion? Because the reason I wanted to wait until we were on the show is to let you know that this is happening in our league of record. I just did this and oh, it's in process. Oh, so no. you saw Dylan and I, so my quarterback room completely decimated for the week, right? Russell Wilson gets injured. Deshaun Watson visits one too many parlors and I had Dak on a bye. So I was forced to start what would have been uh Geno Smith this week. So I make a trade with him for Matt Ryan and I traded him a 2023 third rounder. Right before the trade deadline, I'm going to trade Matt Ryan back to Dylan in exchange for a fourth rounder. So he will move up one round from the fourth round into the third round in the 2023 class in exchange for about four weeks of Matt Ryan. Okay. So I think I've gotten to the point in my fantasy life that I think anybody should be able to trade whatever they want. And if they suck, Mm -hmm. if they make a bad trade, it's on them. The only thing that you have to make sure is that there is not any type of backdoor agreements, right? So, like, if I say, yeah, you can rent, you know, who's the number one quarterback? Tom Brady for mm-hmm. four weeks, just give me a fifth-round pick. It's like, is that really fair? No. Uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying there. Yeah. But, it like, there has to be a letter of the law to it, right? So, yeah. in the situation that I laid out for you, it's an agreement where both teams would benefit Right, He moves up a full round. I get some quarterback help for a few weeks. And in a situation where it's just, I'll give you this player for however many weeks and then we'll trade back, one of those teams isn't really benefiting. So if it's Dynasty is, I think, a platform where you could pull this off because you can do things like pick swaps where you can move up like a conditional pick or something like that. Move up a handful of picks in a draft in exchange for one of your players for a few weeks. So I think it's perfectly okay when the ground rules are agreed upon like that. Yeah, you have to you have to hope that there's sane owners on both sides that that know what they're yeah. getting themselves into. I just think there there might need to you know if if somebody starts abusing it and you know they offer I don't know say they they stack up a bunch of third round picks and they offer a bunch of rebuilding teams 
their best player for a third round pick just to rent him for the playoffs. It's like, okay. Yeah. You know, well, that's why you have the trade deadline in place, though, because yeah. like, we have a trade deadline in our league. The only time we shut down trading is from week 10 of the NFL season until the fantasy playoffs are finished and then trades are back opened up again. Mm-hmm. So that sort of eliminates that. You can't just trade for the player to win playoff games. Yeah. So I will say like there also needs to be a stipulation because this league, our league of record, I just so happen to be the commissioner. But if another two teams were to make this deal and then another team were to back out halfway through, I don't think I can enforce that. Because there's nothing in the platform that we use or anything to say, oh, you made this handshake agreement, you have to do it. If someone were to back out on it, then okay, I'm I'm not going to yeah. enforce anything. You would as have the to commissioner. get you would have to get the parameters of the trade confirmed by each owner directly to you. So we had something similar like that happen a few years ago when our friend of the show Dwight made a trade with Nate for Todd Gurley, and they put stipulations on the deal and said it's going to be worth this pick unless the following parameters are reached. And I think it was Todd Gurley needed to have a thousand scrimmage yards that season or else sort of like the, uh, the Colts and Eagles trade for Carson. Once you play this many snaps and yeah. the pick can go into this round or this round. And I told them both whenever it happened, cause they both came to me as the commissioner and said, this is how, what we want to do. And I said, okay, that's fine. If you want to handshake to it, there's nothing wrong with it. But if one of you backs out, there's nothing in our written rules that say I need to enforce anything. So you're both accepting that risk and, being men of class and honor, they both came through and honored the deal yeah. correctly. But I, that's a tough spot for the commissioner to be in if they don't. So I made it clear to them ahead of time, hey, I'm not going to do anything to stop this if, if it goes off the wall, goes sideways. Yeah, hopefully most dynasty leagues you get in are with, you know, fantasy veterans that know what they're doing and you don't have to yeah. worry about that stuff. Uh, it, it starts getting fishy when you get into a dynasty league with guys you don't know or guys that are friends of a friend. Sure, yeah. You know, then, then it starts getting hairy. weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't mind it. I think it brings another angle to the game, which is also, you know, it's easy for this stuff to get stale if you don't change it up. That's why you see things like half PPR show up, you know, five, ten years ago, and then yeah. five, five years ago, Superflex started really popping. You know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The game's always going to change. You just got to stay fluid with it. And if this is just another piece of the puzzle, I mean, great. I think for smart owners, it gives them an opportunity to get an advantage on other players who don't know how to use it correctly. Um, it's the first I've heard of it though. So now I got to go start trying to trade right people with it. <laughs> well, it didn't work out for me anyway. He kicked my ass. He was the high scorer of the week. So I probably shouldn't have made the trade at all. I, would, I mean, what you, you dropped down, what, 15 spots in the draft. It's not hey, calm down. I think I went from second to fourth. Did you? I'll pull it up right now and check. No, I mean like the actual trade itself. You gave him a third for a fourth. Oh, right? oh yeah, yeah. yeah I, you moved I traded, down like 15 spots in the draft. Or something. I traded a contender's third for his fourth. So we're talking probably somewhere like half a dozen picks I moved down. Yeah, Yeah, that's not bad. All right, so enough of that. I think uh, I think it was worth the, worth the discussion, but let's talk about the news and the notes. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! Extra, extra, read all about it. Check it out. Newspapers for sale. We have breaking news. Breaking news. I'm toasted. You are fake news. And boom goes the dynamite. NFL Network's Ian Rappaport reports there is a good chance that Deshaun Watson is traded by the NFL's November 2nd trade deadline. So this is the obviously the biggest news that could possibly break for the remainder of the NFL season when it comes to personnel moves. So Absolutely. Deshaun Watson 
Uh, word on the street is they're looking for three three ones from what I've read. The Texans are looking for no three chance. ones. Now, in terms <laughs> no of the, the teams that even have that ammunition, I mean, everybody has it if they go back, if they uh, go out in the future far enough. But teams that actually have it um, close to the here and now are the Dolphins and the Eagles. The other teams. Do that the are, Dolphins have that many first? Because the Dolphins are one, one of the teams year. that traded it to Philly, right? Yeah, they have one this year, and they have two next year. I okay. Two in twenty twenty three. Yeah, two in twenty twenty three. Because they traded with the 49ers for them to come up and grab Trey Lance. That's right. Yeah, because yeah. they they move back in and they move back up. That's right. And yeah, the, yeah, the Philly Philly's going to be the really interesting one. They picked up a lot of steam in the conversations reportedly a few months ago, and it coincides with something that comes up a little bit later in the news, and that's the Athletics. Bo Wolf said he would be surprised if at some point this season we don't see Gardner Minshew start some games. Now, I was kind of surprised whenever I heard this. You obviously, being the Philly fanatic, you are follow the team a lot closer than I do. This is something, that's something that wouldn't make a lot of sense to me because although Jalen Hurts hasn't been outstanding or anything, he's obviously been much better for fantasy than he has been for the Eagles. I don't think you can look at him as the problem or that Gardner Minshew is, Minshew is the solution. So that's a move that wouldn't make sense to me. What's your spin on it? Yeah, I, the way I look at it is that they, they traded for Gardner Minshew and they sent, I think, a fifth-round pick for him. Uh, it's a fifth-round pick today. They actually just got back in a recent trade for another quarterback, but we'll get to that. So they obviously liked him enough to bring him onto the roster. They had him initially as the third stringer. Now he's the second stringer, and Jalen Hurts has not given them any reason to suspect that he's the long-term starter. So for a team that legitimately has called themselves a quarterback factory and they actually look at themselves <laughs> that way, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to develop another quarterback because Jalen Hurts is not the guy. And if they want to do it this year, the only guy that they have at their disposal is Gardner Minshew, and he has shown flashes in the past. The thing that I have doubts about when it comes to Gardner Minshew is that if you guys are not sold on Jalen Hurts, you still need him to play and to show something in order to trade him and get something for him. He's still on a contract for Mm -hmm. two more years. Are you going to let him and Gardner Minshew sit on the bench for two more years each? When you draft another rookie quarterback, where you trade for a Deshaun Watson, right. I don't think so. Uh, so I, and, I think they want to do everything they can to show off Jalen Hurts, and if he gets better at all, I think they'll try to trade him. And to me, another thing that goes with this: Gardner Minshew is two years older than Jalen Hurts. I mean, he's twenty-five. Neither one of these guys are by, are old by any means, but he's twenty-five. But he has. Um, almost two complete years of starting experience in the NFL, whereas Jalen Hurts is at, at at this point, he's not even to a full season worth of starts yet. So I don't understand why you would pull the string for one guy with less than a year of starting experience for a guy who's done it for several years. Maybe they are just sold on Gardner Minshew, and right now it's, it is just speculation in the future, but it is something to keep in mind in, in Dynasty because Jalen Hurts is, an, is a QB1 on the season, has been every week this season. He's the only quarterback in the NFL who can say that, but if you're in Dynasty, we got to think about it he's 23 years old that doesn't mean he has a 10 15 year career ahead of him that could be coming to an end and it is something that you need to keep an eye on absolutely if he does move if he does get moved for for a guy like Deshaun Watson I think you can expect him to still be a a very relevant fantasy quarterback but then how long does that last if the Texans do in fact get three first rounders back they're probably going to be looking to upgrade the quarterback position very soon after that as well Uh, so hopefully um, this gets figured out by the deadline. It'd be interesting to see if this actually does uh, really change uh, the, the power balance of teams in the NFL. Uh, but the Jets, 
You know, they lost Zach Wilson to a PCL injury. He's suspected to miss two to four weeks. And in response to that, they sent a conditional 2022 sixth round pick to the Philadelphia Eagles to bring Joe Flacco back to the New York Jets. So obviously it's not flashy. It's nothing to write home about, but Joe Flacco knows the offense and he's going to be their stopgap. For some reason, they think they need a stopgap quarterback when their team has one <laughs> victory through seven weeks. Yeah, Flacco is returning to New York. He was there, what, last season, two seasons ago, but it was with a different regime. So I don't know how much familiarity he is actually going to have in Robert Sala's offense because uh, that was one of the first things that came to my mind, obviously, the reunion, but it is an entirely different coaching staff there. Uh, for the fantasy pieces that you're monitoring there, and, and call it a break even because Zach Wilson, although you and I have high hopes for his future, I don't think we're expecting much of that to come out in the next month, which is when we're going to see Joe Flacco. So Corey Davis, the running backs there, Elijah Moore, uh, Jamison Crowder, I think you're still viewing them the same way with Joe Flacco as opposed to Zach Wilson, at least for the next month. Yeah. Moving on, Miami Dolphins have signed Duke Johnson to their practice squad after placing Malcolm Brown on the injured reserve. He so, lives. Yeah, he still he sticks around. <laughs> One of those running backs that seems to never go away. But I think this actually says more about Miles Gaskin and uh, Salvin Ahmed than it does about Duke Johnson. Um, that role that Gaskin has kind of played two of the last three weeks is the pass catching back and has been getting a lot more work. I think it, you could probably suspect it to continue um, because they only are signing a depth guy like Duke Johnson. You know, they're not bringing in a guy and promoting him to the active roster right away since uh, Malcolm Brown has, in fact, been put on the injury reserve. Is it worth a stash? Do you, are you picking up Duke Johnson anywhere? No. No. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, not not on a 1-16 that's in a negative game script by the second quarter every game they play. Yeah. Uh, no way. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Duke Johnson – I think he's, what, 26, 27 years old. He's, he's been in the league for a little while, and everyone, all the analytics guys have always wanted it to happen because of his pass-catching prowess and just overall athleticism. But I think he's fine to go ahead and leave out there on your waivers. All right, so time to get into our weekly recap. You ready? Let's do this! All right. All right, we start out in Lambeau where the Green Bay Packers take care of the Washington football team 24-10. J.D. McKissick outsnaps Antonio Gibson 46-30. That lingering injury continues to be a problem for him, but Gibson has not seen a double-digit target share for Washington since week one. A number J.D. McKissick has hit five times since. Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard both placed on the COVID-19 list, leaving Green Bay with, by my count, four active wide receivers for Thursday night football, three of which have been primarily slot receivers their entire career. So that tough matchup against the undefeated Arizona Cardinals looming, it's going to be an interesting one for Green Bay. Yeah, this game produced two top 12 wide receivers in Terry McClellan and Devontae Adams, but didn't produce a single running back in the top 29. So with Devontae Adams out Thursday, look for the Packers to rely heavily on the Thunder and Lightning duo of A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. Over to Tennessee, where the Titans owned the Chiefs from start to finish. Patrick Mahomes was rough in this one. He posted his lowest passer rating ever at 62.3, and over the past three weeks, his rating is at 75.5. That's worse than Sam Darnold and Jared Goffish. It's also the first time in his career that he didn't have either 250 yards passing or a passing touchdown. 
On the other side, Derrick Henry's streak of 100-yard rushing games comes to an end. He still finishes the RB5 thanks to a passing touchdown early in this one. And he can pass. A.J. Brown has target shares of 29, 36, and 33% since he returned from that Week 4 injury. Patrick Mahomes has been rough. The Chiefs score their fewest points in a game since Brady Quinn was under center back in 2012. On down to South Beach where the Miami Dolphins fall 30-28 to to the Atlanta Falcons. Kyle Pitts. I told you he was bust-proof, and I think I was the only one saying that, so all credit to me. He's lined up as a wideout on 31.6% of his snaps this season. That's the highest rate among tight ends in the league. And Calvin Ridley returns to form, finishes with a 26% target share, and has yet to see that number drop below 20 in a game this season. Jalen Waddle, man, that rookie's off to a hot start. He's currently in the top 12 in the NFL in targets with 57 on the season. Yeah, Kyle Pitts really proved me wrong. I, I had my concerns about him, but there's one thing I'd never doubted, and that was his hands. He hasn't had a single drop since week 10 of the 2019 season when he was still a Florida Gator. Over to Foxborough, where the Patriots clobber the Jets. The Jets, they've gone scoreless in all six first quarters so far this year. They also only have 30 passing yards in all six first quarters so far this year. The last team to not score in a single first quarter in the first six games was the 2008 Lions, who eventually went 0-16. Uh, as for Zach Wilson, he was knocked out early in this one, so we were subjected to Mike White. It wasn't very pretty, but they but they traded for Joe Joe Flacco, so you know brighter days are ahead. Uh, yeah. Michael Carter, Michael Carter, uh, he had his best game as a pro, seeing 20 total opportunities, which is pretty encouraging to see since they came off a of bye week. You can assume that they looked to get him involved early and often in this one. And as for the Patriots, Mac Jones and Damian Harris did not disappoint as both finished as top six at their positions. And yes, Jacoby Myers is still without a touchdown. Don't rub that in, man. Yeah, Zach Wilson's PCL tear is going to put him out the next two to four weeks. Corey Davis scores a touchdown, but he has his worst target share of the season at just 14.6%. That win marks the 12th in a row for the Patriots over the Jets. New England, the first team in the NFL to have each of their first three wins of the season come against rookie starting quarterbacks. Next up, the New York Giants win 25-3 over the Carolina Panthers. Devontae Booker finishes with just a 60% rush share, the first time since the Barkley injury that he's had fewer than 80%. That was the fourth straight game with a target share above 20% for Robbie Anderson, but he is averaging under six half PPR points per game during that stretch. Daniel Jones so far has been averaging six rushes for 33 yards per game, so he's offering a nice rushing floor as long as he has a job. And after the last few weeks of Sam Darnold, I think the Patriots, or excuse me, the Panthers are front runners to trade for Deshaun Watts. Down in Baltimore, crab cakes and football, that's what Maryland does. <laughs> well, that and getting crushed by the best young quarterback wide receiver duo in football. Joe Burrow throws for 416 yards en route to finishing as QB1 on the week. 200 of those yards went to Jamar Chase, who finishes the wide receiver to him. Chase stands alone as the best seven-game start to a career in NFL history at the wide receiver position. He's also posted eight 30-plus yard receptions. That's more than 17 other teams' totals of 30-yard catches wow. on the year. For Baltimore, Marquise Brown and Rashad Bateman both reached 80 yards, which is good to see, but Hollywood was the one who scored. He's only one touchdown behind his career high for touchdowns in a season. 
Yeah, the Bengals' win marks their largest margin against the Ravens in the history of that rivalry. The aforementioned rookie Rashad Bateman finishes with six targets for the second time in his only two games played this season. He's been impressive. T. Higgins finishes with a better than 40% target share, but as you said, Jamar Chase stole the show. The second youngest rookie with 200-plus receiving yards, second only to Mike Evans in that great 2014 draft class. Next up to Vegas, where Philadelphia falls to the Raiders 22-33. Both starting running backs get injured in that contest. Raiders going into a bye, but we'll check in. They expect Josh Jacobs back and Miles Sanders. We will wait and see for an update on that one. Foster Moreau, 17.6% target share and scored 18 PPR fantasy points. Darren Waller's matched that target share in every game he's played this season, but has only matched that fantasy output once back in week one. Jalen Hurts finishes as a QB1 for the seventh time in as many games as I said, the only quarterback in the NFL to accomplish that. He has had over 43% of his QB1 fantasy points in the fourth quarter of his games. It's been rough to see. Derek Carr has finished with a completion percentage over 90% for the second time in his career. Every other player in NFL history combined has only had one such performance. Wow. To SoFi Stadium where the Detroit Lions came out, guns a-blazing trying to shock the world. On the back of DeAndre Swift, they nearly did. DeAndre Swift had 140 yards and a touchdown on 23 total opportunities. He's finally getting the workload we all projected early in the year. TJ Hawkinson put out another duck performance but did have nine targets, so you won't see us panicking about that at all. For the Rams, Cooper Cup goes over 150 yards and two scores for the second time this year. Only Ram to have done that in the past is Isaac Bruce in 1995. Matt Stafford records his 27th game with 300 passing yards and three scores, tying Brett Favre's career total of such performances. DeAndre Swift was outstanding. He's been great all year. He has 100 more receiving yards than any other running back this season. And as you've mentioned, Cooper Cup, he has been crazy good. He's the only player in the Super Bowl era with 800 receiving yards and nine touchdowns through his team's first seven games. Next up, the Houston Texans lay an egg 5-31. They're outscored by the undefeated Arizona Cardinals. Tyrod Taylor will return to practice this week, so it will soon close the door on the Davis Mills experiment for the time being. DeAndre Hopkins leads all pass catchers in touchdown rate with 20 or more targets on the season. And Zach Ertz becomes the first player in NFL history with a receiving touchdown in consecutive weeks for two different teams. So since 1990, 28 teams have started 7-0. All 28 have made the playoffs, six of which won the whole damn thing. Down to South Florida where the Bears wish they'd never shown up. Tom Brady throws for his 600th touchdown pass, the most ever. Kyle, can you guess how many different pass catchers were on the receiving end of a Tom Brady touchdown pass? Oh, jeez. 80? 86. Very close. Wow. Very Good close. guess. Mike Evans scores three times in this one, marking his third multi-touchdown performance of the year, also tying his personal record for most multi-touchdown performances in a season. For Chicago, things aren't looking up. Justin Fields had three interceptions and two lost fumbles. The last rookie to have done that was Josh Rosen. Matt Nagy now on the COVID list, so hopefully the game plan and play plan will be more aggressive come week eight. Let's go, Bill Lazor. Yeah, Justin Fields. Double the passer rating on play-action passes as opposed to without this season. And that's great because the Bears rank 28th in the league in play-action pass percentage. He's been sacked on over 14% of his dropbacks, the highest rate for a rookie quarterback since David Carr back in 2005. 
Next up, Sunday Night Football, where the Indianapolis Colts win 30-18 over the San Francisco 49ers. Jonathan Taylor ties Joseph Adai with six for the second most games with 100-plus rushing yards among Indianapolis running backs in their first two seasons. He became the first 100-yard rusher that the Niners have allowed since Week 9, 2019. And San Francisco, another rough start. They're at or below 500 for the fourth time in five years under Kyle Shanahan through six weeks of the season, who recently declared Jimmy Garoppolo as the Week 8 starter. And Carson Wentz was impressive in this one in the downpour. He had multi, mul- he has multiple passing scores and zero interceptions in four straight games, tying Peyton Manning for the longest streak in Colts history. Over to Seattle, where the Saints came in and left with a W in the most boring game of the week. Alvin Kamara was electric, as we've come to expect. He saw a whopping 31 total opportunities and paid off as the RB1. He became the first running back with 8-plus receptions and 100 yards in the first half of the game since Brian Westbrook did it in 2004 versus your Green Bay Packers. On the other side, DK Metcalf caught a bomb to start the game but went silent with only one catch after that, and the remaining options on on the Seahawks didn't finish higher than number 40 at their position other than Gerald Everett, who came in at tight end 25. You're already here. Hope you fired up Gerald Everett. Alvin Kamara is the fastest player in NFL history to reach 3,000 rushing yards and 3,000 receiving yards, taking him just 66 games. He has over 100 scrimmage yards in four straight. The loss marks the first time for Seattle since 2011 that the Seahawks have lost five of their first seven. And Geno Smith has not won an NFL football game that he himself started since week 17, 2014. Oh my god, I didn't even know he was in the lead that long. <laughs> wow, that's rough. So yeah. after going through all this, I think the thing that kind of um, comes to mind every time we do these recaps is uh, what we thought about coaches years ago or, or even just a year ago to what we think about yeah. them now. Like It's just how fast the league moves, how oh, fast man. so everything changes. It's nuts. Like, uh, look at, let's see, everyone thought Matt Nagy was one of the greatest coaches in the league when he First went over to the Bears. Didn't he win coach of the year or something like that? Well, like yeah, I think he did. Coach? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago about how uh, just these coaching trees, whether Belichick, Belichick has a very long history of his coaches' assistants going other places and it not working out. And then I talked about Andy Reid, really the only one uh, who found success after him was Doug Peterson. But, of course, he learned everything he knows from Brett Favre. So you can't even give Reid co- credit for that. So – a lot of these assistants, like the hot one uh, a couple years ago was everyone wanted to be be from the McVay coaching tree, right? And we saw all his assistants getting jobs left and right. And I don't, I think the only one who really has a good sustained record since then has been Matt LaFleur. And he yeah. just happened to inherit a, a playoff ready team. So like as great, as much as I love LaFleur, you can't give him all the credit for the success he's had in the last couple of years. But it is crazy just how much the league changes seemingly overnight. Yeah, that, and I mean, you, you mentioned it. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, he has what you said, he, at or below 500 for uh, four out of the, the last five yeah. seasons that he's been the head coach. Like, you know, everyone still talks about Kyle Shanahan like he is this, you know, the savior that God sent down to, yeah, to God, save to football, football in the Bay, you know? It's like. Yeah, he's literal literal descendant of one of the best coaches of all time yeah. with Mike, obviously, who had all the success back in the 80s and 90s. But it's it's crazy to see how fast just the narrative completely flips. And it makes me worry that with Shanahan in his case, is he just one of these guys that we see all the time that is just a great X's and O's guys, an outstanding coordinator, 
and I don't, I don't want to pretend like I'm trying to tarnish his reputation or talk about him as a man, but are you a leader of men as a head coach? Cause that's something you really have to be like, uh, and the name that comes to mind for me, there's two of them that really stick out. So Jim Schwartz and Jim Harbaugh, great X's and O's guys had a lot of success as coordinators, but we saw them fall on their face as head coaches. Harbaugh had some good success with those 49ers teams in the late 2000s, early 2010s, but those were teams just stacked with talent. Like you had to be terrible in order to not have success with them. And they just, and then obviously Harbaugh goes to Michigan. Uh, Jim Schwartz goes over to Philly, has some success as the D coordinator there. Just there's these guys are scattered all around the league who are great X's and O's guys. They could draw up a game plan to beat anybody, but when they be, when they're given the reins of a franchise as a head coach, they just cannot emulate that success. Yeah, I mean, you look at the guys that have had the most success in our lifetime, Bill Belichick, Andy Reid, Mike Tomlin, guys that seem to have married up their leadership with their football IQ. And then you see guys that have just one or the other. Like, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with Dan Campbell, but I think what he has at least is the leadership. People are at least listening to him. He seems to have that. But – does anybody think he has the football IQ to, to lead an organization to a Super Bowl? I don't think so. But you know, obviously, like I, like you said, I don't want to tarnish the guy's reputation. I don't know him, but it just doesn't yeah. it doesn't smell right. And then you look at the other side of the coin with a guy who's just not emotional, uh, who s- seems to be who was brought in to be the X's and O's guys uh, was Nick Sirianni, and it's like he doesn't look like he knows how to lead anybody, uh, and. You know, that's obviously not going well at all. So, I mean, I just don't understand how you yeah. can hire one of these guys without having at least a base level of, of, of both things, that leadership ability and that X's and O's football IQ side of the house. And as much stress as we want to put on teams' rosters year in and year out, I've always been the big proponent that – I said it a few weeks ago. Football is chess being played by the two head coaches. Just you have different pieces on each side. Some rosters are more talented than the others. It is kind of, it's not a crapshoot. There has to be an art or a science to it somewhere, but I'd be lying. And I think anyone would be lying if they talked to you and said they understand exactly what it takes to be a great head coach. To me, it just, it, it needs to be the perfect storm of everything coming together. And for these guys, like you mentioned, the Tomlins, the Reeds, the Belichicks, who can do it for decades, it just makes you appreciate what they do that much more. Absolutely. Now with that, it's time to Get, get get a little critique in again. You're going to look at the yeah, guys that I got. I'm going to look at the guys you got. We're going to kind of hash it out, see where we're at. But for those of you guys who don't know, we did a bunch of buys and sells over the past few weeks for rebuilders and contenders. We are going to review those and see where we stand on our calls from anywhere from one to five weeks ago. Right. So we're going to start with mine. We're going to start with the buys. So week one, I told you if you're a rebuilder to buy Trey Sermon. If you guys don't remember, everybody thought Trey Sermon was going to be the lead back in San Francisco. And then Sunday morning, we find out he's inactive. So oh, yeah. Elijah Mitchell comes in, steals the show, has over 100 yards in his first game. And my initial reaction was, I think what a lot of people thought, buy Trey Sermon because the draft capital is still there, the college production is there, the ability that we thought was there is still there. But 
I don't know if it's paying off. No, you you know it's not paying off. It's not an <laughs> I don't know. Just like last week we started, and I started hot with Daryl Henderson. I had my best take. This was your worst of the whole season. This is the one you put out yeah. week one. Look, looking through all your buys, um, I think I can make a case for all of them except for maybe one or two, and this is one of them that, yeah, we, we swung and missed there. It happens because I was on board with you. I, I love Trey Sermon coming in in the pre-draft process. Uh, process, process. Um, he was a unique back for San Francisco. He was that power runner that they just didn't seem to have on the roster. They have four other guys who play the exact same way. But Elijah Mitchell, like to, to your credit, you were telling people also, hey, don't sleep on Elijah Mitchell. You did that through the whole pre-draft uh, process, the entire offseason. You were the one saying, hey, don't give up on Elijah Mitchell. Everyone is saying Trey Sermon's the guy, but don't dismiss him. Yeah. But unfortunately, you didn't put that on paper as a buy. You put Trey no. Sermon there no. and – you get the failing grade on this one. Ironically enough, I just bought Elijah Mitchell in our league of record <laughs> this past week. Yeah. yeah I don't did. know if anybody's uh, touching Trey Sermon with a 10 foot pole right now, but if you yeah. were a contender, I told you to buy Antonio Brown uh, right after get that. Get back he, in the win column as quick as you can. There you right, go. Right after that, he went on the COVID list. Remember that? So, Well, it all worked out. I mean, obviously yeah. he's, he's had a great season so far. Really? Uh, he's had three great games where he put up 25, 33 and 21 points for a guy that a calendar year ago you could have bought with anything beyond a second round pick. Like um, I think he was traded, and I, I know we keep referring back to our league of records so much, but I think Dwight actually bought him for a second rounder right after he was released from Oakland a few years ago where it seemed like his career just may be done. And to Dwight's credit, he, he stuck with him, he held on to him, and now it's starting to pay dividends. Um, right now he's the number 17 wide receiver in fantasy and standard, number 23 in PPR. He's a big play in a bottle. Even though he's only getting about 50-60% of snaps for Tampa, obviously playing behind Evans and Godwin and then missing this this last week against Chicago, he still has been, if you were able to get in early on, one of the best buys in fantasy. So I give you a B-plus on the Antonio Brown oh, buy. Nice. It, wasn't, it wasn't a complete home run, but it was definitely a win and definitely a move you're happy with now a couple of months later. I don't know if you you actually gave me a grade for Trey Sermon, did you? Yeah, I, f- I failed you. Oh. You got a big F, and I made sure to draw it in a way that you couldn't like curve the lines and make it look like a B or an A or anything like that. It was an F, and then I wrote failure below it. You you fucked that one up. Very well. Red pen all over the place. <laughs> got it. <laughs> Week two, uh, as a rebuilder, I told you to buy Zach Wilson. What do you got? Yeah, it's still TBD, jury out. Yeah. You know I love Zach Wilson, but for the fantasy owners out there who may be wondering, like, is it going to get better? I think so. I think it will get better, but as I've been saying all year, I don't think it's going to happen this season. The roster is just not talented enough, but I do believe in the infrastructure of the coaching staff. I like the way that this last draft went for them, even if it isn't paying off yet. So this is another one of these incompletes, which is going to be pretty common, honestly, honestly, or among these rebuilders, because we don't expect to get those instant gratification wins. That's why they're for rebuilders. So shape your roster for the future. Zach Wilson's stock, luckily for you, isn't any higher now than it was in week two. So if you still share that vindication on him or that, uh, not vindication, what's the word? Expectation. No. What is it when you believe in something? Conviction. Not vind- Conviction. There you go. Thank you. If you still have that conviction, then I think you can still get him. Obviously, the injury isn't going to make his price go up. He's probably even cheaper than he was in week two. And that wasn't very expensive at the time, but I still do believe in him that he can be a franchise quarterback. I still think he has all the physical traits you need out of him. We haven't seen it manifest on the field yet, but it is still one that I believe in. It's ironic that like he got it or not ironic. It sucks that he got injured this, this past week in in the second quarter, because the first quarter, he actually looked solid against the Patriots and 
that's impressive because last time he played the Patriots, he threw four interceptions. Yeah. So it was a bit of a yeah, like things thing. were kind of on the, the the upswing there. Um, he was starting to utilize Elijah Moore, which me and you were both big fans of. Uh, so mm-hmm. I still think things are going in the right direction for Zach Wilson. But in terms of this take, it's like that. It's like I don't know. It's like that mm. carton of milk that it says it's expired. You open it up and you smell it. And it doesn't smell that bad. And you're take like, a whiff. Like I don't know. <laughs> we'll see about it. Maybe I'll try it. <laughs> Definitely no victory laps, but I still think there is an avenue, probably next season or beyond, where this is the right call. And then if you're a contender, I told you to buy Miles Sanders. This one is. Yeah, it's not a great start for you early on. You, a lot of swings and misses the first part of the season. Of the first four guys in the first two weeks that you named, only one of them was a surefire win. But I won't fail you on Miles Sanders. I will give you the D for the second week in a row. Showing. Make sure you got it. The injury, obviously, is going to play a factor. He's being called week to week right now with the low-end ankle sprain. If he comes back, his fantasy schedule is a lot better. That is something that we talked about when you called him a buy, uh, buy is the fantasy playoffs. I mentioned that he has Washington twice and then New York, which back in week two, I was still touting as good defenses. You came across on the other side and said, no, these aren't good defenses. They're masquerading as good defenses who have been good in the past and that's held true. So Washington's run defense has still been solid, but yeah, New York Giants have had no defense whatsoever running against the run or the pass. So that fantasy playoff schedule of Washington twice in New York is a little bit appetizing, and it's something that could save this grade, which is why I won't fail you. But right now, it's not looking good. So right after I called him a bye, things went off the rails. And then the past two weeks, he started to show signs of life again. His peripheral numbers were jumping up. It looked like it was just a matter of time before he started producing to the point where you, you were happy starting him again, but then he gets injured. So it's just right. poor timing all around on this one. Uh, week three, as a rebuilder, I told you to take a shot on Cole Komet. Yeah, that's I still think that's a good one, whether you're a rebuilder or not, honestly. Uh, Komet obviously hasn't been great because the Chicago's offense has just been putrid, but he was the best receiver on Chicago this last week against Tampa Bay with a just sizzling five for 43 stat line. And then the week before he had four catches for 49 yards. He's honestly looks like the best, best pass catcher in Chicago right now. Allen Robinson. I heard uh, Zach Reeson earlier on his pod, call him a drop and it just broke my heart. Like it physically hurt me. I was taking the kid and the dog out on a walk and I had to like stop and walk over to the side of the street and just shake my head for a second. Like, the fall from grace that has been Allen Robinson. Hopefully he gets out of Chicago next season, but Cole Komet, I still believe in that kid and he's only 22 years old. So it's way too early to give up on anything. That offense is, it cannot get worse. Like this is, there's one offense in the league that I feel like a calendar year from now has to be better. It's the Chicago bears. Cause it's been terrible. It's just been awful. And he's been suffering because of it, but I still think brighter days are ahead. I give you a C minus. Slightly below average. It's not bad. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to buying tight ends, you always want to buy the athletic ones. The same reason why last week when you mentioned uh, Noah Fant, I was all on board because no matter what happens now, I mean, these guys are in bad situations. I mean, if just all I have to say is Chicago Bears, Denver Broncos, and everyone just ugh, makes that yeah, nasty face. It's been rough. It's, it's, it's hard to for anybody to produce there. And Cole Komet and... No fan are the perfect beneficiaries of things kind of on their upswing because they're young, they're under contract, they're very athletic, uh, they're on, they're tight ends, so the landscape for them to be relevant isn't exactly the hardest uh, right. 
to, to kind of break into. So I still like that take. Uh, I'm going to stand by that one as opposed to the other ones I've, I mentioned so far. Uh, <laughs> we need to get you a win, man. <laughs> week four, I told you as a contender to buy Robert Woods. This one is kind of like uh, solid, I think. It's okay. I give you a better grade on this one for everything except for Antonio Brown so far. I'm going to give you a B- minus because Robert Woods has been – a little bit worse than you expected, but he hasn't been so bad that he sinks you. So you told me after week four that he was your buy, where he was coming off of fantasy performances of 11, 11, 6, and 13, at least the way our scoring set up. And since then, he came out week five, best game of the season, 28 points against the Seattle Seahawks, and then he's been double-digit each week since. So while he hasn't been great, he's still, over the course of the season, is a wide receiver too right now which I think is what you expected him to be going into the season. You wanted a little more upside out of the weeks from him, but his floor has been still really good. Tampa Bay, the only game this season where he's been below 10 fantasy points, where he finishes three catches, 33 yards, just a tough game. But every other game this season, while he hasn't been great, he's been in the teens just about every season, which if the rest of your roster is solid, you can still win games like that. And if you are that contender and Robert Woods is floated out there each week as your flex as your wide receiver three, I think you're fine. So I'm okay with this one. And I still do think it's going to be better. Uh, Detroit this week had 14 points. He's got Houston and Tennessee the next few weeks. So I think there's a good chance that we see another good solid game out of him. And I still think I like him as a top 24 wide receiver the rest of the season. Yeah, the interesting thing about this is, like you mentioned about Cooper Cup in the recap, he's had the highest combination of yards and touchdowns of any player in history uh, with 800 plus and eight. Now, if even a fraction of that goes to Robert Woods for the rest of the year, like his touchdown totals increase or, or uh, some of those yards get spread around a little bit, Robert Woods is going to be the main beneficiary of that. So unless you think that Cooper Cup's going to post the best wide receiver season of all time, uh, which, which actually doesn't look that improbable at this yeah. point. Uh, Robert Woods would probably be the biggest beneficiary of that. So if you're a contender and, and you did buy him, I would say hold on to him and still still try to use him and, and expect some some better performances going forward. Yep. Uh, and then week five, I told you to buy T. Higgins as a rebuilder. Yeah, I'm, I'm still on board with this one. It's yeah. tough to call it a win right now because since then he went out three for 44 and then seven for 62. But the biggest point with that that I want to bring up is – what I brought up in the recap, although Jamar Chase stole the show, he had over a 40% target share. 40% is past elite. That's not sustainable. No wide receiver has a 40% target share, but T Higgins did it. So the volume is there. The draft profile is there. The age is there. He's still only 22 years old and the production hasn't been there. But as we've been saying for the last month, it feels like Jamar Chase has to slow down at some point, not to say he's not an elite <laughs> yeah. wide receiver and he can't stay an elite wide receiver, he has to slow down at some point. Eventually, a defense he's going to run into a defense that knows how to pump the brakes on him a little bit. I thought Baltimore this last week looked like the best chance this season to do, do so because we talked about it last week. The defenses that they played for the first six weeks of the season were definitely not a murderer's row at all. But Baltimore, he's got the Jets coming up and then Cleveland and then into a bye. I expect at least one jump game out of T. Higgins, who's yet to break 15 fantasy points on the season. I, I still like him, although... It may not be in that alpha role anymore. I still like him as a 1B to Jamar Chase because they do things differently. Jamar Chase is a lot more that downfield speed route runner, whereas T. Higgins can be that red zone guy. So as soon as the Cincinnati Bengals stop throwing all their touchdowns from 80 yards outside of the end zone, <laughs> they start moving some drives yeah. into the red zone and throwing for some you know, 5, 10, 15-yard touchdowns. T. Higgins is still going to be the biggest beneficiary. I give it a B. All right. 
Good. I ended on a strong one there. That's good. All right. We're moving on to these cells. Cell. No, 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 take, just get it out of here. You can sell anything, sell, sell, sell me this pen right here. You can sell anything, sell that. We all sell out every day. Might as well be on the winning team. Sell! All right, so Kyle, what do you got? All right, this is the one I was not looking forward to. I got two or three names in here where it's going to be tough to justify my take. So week one, my first take was not a lot better than yours. I told folks out there to sell Debo Samuel. Yeah, that's uh, Debo Samuel. Selling Debo, that's pretty rough. Uh, so the thing about that is you're probably looking at a quarterback change here shortly. So if you didn't sell Debo Samuel, I would not be upset if you sold him now. The only problem is you told people to sell him week one, and he has been amazing. <laughs> yeah. He, he yeah. Leads, leads the league in yak. Uh, he has a an elite target share. Um, the targets are incredible. Eight or more targets in every game this season. Yeah, he, he's been he's been dominant, just flat out dominant, and and he hasn't had any injuries. You know that was always the big concern yeah. um, the past few years with Debo. So yeah, I would I would give you man. I I kind of like the take at the time, so I can't give you an F because then I'd just be fouling myself as well. I'll give you like yeah. a, a D a D minus. <laughs> you barely so, you're scraped by. Yeah, and I, I don't think I can really sway the argument just because of what we've seen since then. But I still think that there's a very good chance that I don't want to rely on injuries, but we've seen it over the course of Debo's career. And he's played every game, like you said. And then the quarterback change, Kittle eventually returning. Brandon Ayuk, where the hell are you, man? Like, what's happening here? I, I, I don't understand. That's even more baffling to me than the running back situation in San Francisco. It just seems to me right now, like, San Francisco's not a good team, so drastic changes are going to happen. We're talking about Kyle Shanahan like he's on the hot seat right now. He has to hear those whispers. Something has to change. Clearly, this game plan of force-feed Debo just is not working. He, he's already right now a top-six wide receiver in PPR. This would be by far the greatest finish in his uh brief three-year career he finishes the wide receiver 32 and then last season when he missed half the year down in the 90s I, I just don't think it's sustainable at all what he's doing but I can't run any victory laps obviously because of how he started off the first half of the year so a little thought experiment if Trey Lance comes in you have to think Debo takes a massive downturn right yeah but Lance already started a game earlier this year that was the game against he started against Arizona. Seattle. Was it Seattle? Or, no, yeah, he came in late against Arizona, and then he started the game against Seattle. And Seattle was week four. Arizona's week five. Yeah. And in those games, the game against Seattle, he still finishes with 12 targets, 156 yards, and two scores. Outstanding game. Actually, his best game of the season. And then the next week, it wasn't great. Just three for 58. But he had nine targets on the game. So, yeah. like... He's still getting so much volume, even with Lance. Obviously, there was no Kittle in that Arizona game. That's right when he went on the IR. So Kittle coming back could put a hitch in all this. I'm still out. Like, I can't take the victory, but I do still share the same take. I'm still selling Debo. All right. What's the next one? So the next one, cool. I'm able to get into the win column from this one. Tyson Williams. I told you if you were a rebuilder to get out from under there. And if you did, you're glad you listened. Yeah, he's almost irrelevant at this point. Um, yes, his name is just kind of floating out there in fantasy circles. People are wondering if he's going to resurface. As of right now, it doesn't look like it. Uh, 
Baltimore has two running backs on the season-ending IR that are going to be back next year. So mm-hmm. even if Tyson Williams does come back this year at some point, you're a rebuilder, so who cares? You know, you're not going to use him in 2022. So if you got under out from underneath him, great. I'll give you a B plus on that one. I uh, can't give you oh, an man, A. I thought I'd get an A on that. I can't give you an A because I don't know if anybody was. Uh, I don't know if anybody yeah, was fair. all that bought in. That's fair. It, it was definitely the right time. Week one, he had 18 fantasy points. Week one, never came close to that again. He had 11 against Kansas City, and then has been inactive for two games and three games below five points. So he's completely irrelevant. I don't care if you want to put him back onto your waiver wire at this point. I don't know what you really would be holding on to him for. So, bye bye, Tyson. And in the same breath, week two, much like my Debo Samuel argument, I stayed with the Ravens and told you to sell Marquise Brown. Yeah, Marquise Brown. Uh, this one also kind of rough, but I, I like yeah. the process. I think both of us kind of – our process on all this stuff was pretty good. The, the, the problem is these guys are, are producing, at, in my opinion, like an unsustainable rate, but it's hard to say that it was a good move if – the results aren't there yeah. because the results are you sold a guy who has seven touchdowns in seven games. Um, yeah. You sold a guy <laughs> who catches like a 50-yard bomb every other week. It's it's very hard to say that that's a victory by any stretch of the imagination. So I'll give you like a C on this one, but the process is there. And I think with Rashad Bateman coming on and having back-to-back weeks with six targets, he had yep. 80 yards this week. I think you can start to see some more work kind of fade away from Marquise and head over to Rashad Bateman. And if that's the case, you'll be happy that you, you sold him at a high point. But week two was too early. Yeah, you're probably right. He's been great. He's just like Debo. He's a top six wide receiver on the season. I'm, I don't think my, I don't know where my conviction would be higher between Brown and Debo, but I still really don't want either one because I don't think it's sustainable what the Ravens are doing. They're throwing in – at an all-time high uh, under the Lamar Jackson era. He's throwing the ball much more than he ever has before, and Marquise Brown's been the main beneficiary. Bateman, like, I don't want to undersell. Like Six targets doesn't sound like a lot, but we're talking about Rashad Bateman, who missed all of the preseason, has been injured through the first quarter of the season, and then he comes in and immediately is getting targets, and that is something to pay attention to because he plays a different style than Marquise Brown, a much higher floor, more sustainable style than Marquise Brown, who has to rely on that deep play every single week which is what made him great the thing or what made him very good in the past and the thing that made him great this season was that he was getting those targets over the middle of the field when Mark Andrews was off to a slow start when we saw uh Sammy Watkins get uh injured earlier in the season and now with Rashad Bateman back uh Mark Andrews obviously playing a lot better eventually Sammy Watkins is going to return those are a lot of targets that are going to be eaten up I don't know if it's any one guy that we can point to and say this is going to eliminate Marquise Brown because that's not going to happen but it will relegate him back to what we've seen him be through his first couple years as that boom play, touchdown, or bust type wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, and six targets in that offense is more than six targets in most offenses. So True. Rashad Bateman's definitely got to keep an eye on. I know we kind of got off topic, but yeah, Marquise Brown, not exactly the, the greatest call. But your next one was definitely a win. Yeah, get back in the win column here. My rebuilders, I did a lot better with the cells. Sony Michelle, this was at the point where I think – it was a week or two before the Darrow or no, it was right during the Daryl Henderson injury where Michelle was guaranteed to be the start. He got the start. He did well. Perception of him was high as okay. He's here. He's in the offense. And just like I told you to buy Daryl Henderson, I told you to get out from under Sony Michelle. Yeah. This one I'll give you an A on for sure. 
when Cerny Michelle came in, this was before we were 100% positive that Daryl Henderson is the RB2 that he is for the rest of the year. And Cerny Michelle was a someone to be concerned about. So if you got out from under him then, it was the perfect time because a week later he was almost worthless. So great, yeah. great call on this one. Cerny Michelle getting an A on that. Yeah, I told you to sell right at week two, right before they played Tampa Bay, where he had the backfield to himself. Uh, scored 12 fantasy points against Tampa Bay, which is actually pretty good for a running back. But since then, he went negative. He had another decent game against Seattle, but Alvin Kamara just showed you what a rec- powerhouse defense Seattle has. And then another dud against New York and then Detroit. So no room for Sony Michelle on any of my rosters. In week three, very, I kept with the trend. Henry Ruggs was my contender sell. Yeah, Henry Ruggs, I think it was a pretty good idea to sell him then um, because – He's young, so you usually get more of a premium for younger players in Dynasty for obvious reasons. He's also had what he averaged almost 80 yards a game through the first three weeks, and in the last yep. three weeks, he, he's averaging less than that. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he only has one touchdown over the past four weeks. Um, his target share is coming down slightly. Um, the first three weeks, he averaged about like six and a half. Now he's averaging about four and a half. Um, so all those numbers are coming down slightly. I still think he is usable. He's a good bye week fill-in. Um, if the Raiders keep it off, Derek Carr keeps playing well. He could have some boom weeks here or there. Um, but he's definitely not playing at the level he was playing um, after the first three weeks. So I'll give you a B- minus on this. Yeah, so I told you to sell after week three, where he's coming off of fantasy performances of – Seven points, 25 points, and then 13 points. So look pretty solid. Since then, he's broken to double digits just once in week six against Denver. And I also said in the same breath that I would much rather, if I wanted to get into that uh, Raiders offense, that I would rather have Brian Edwards. And Edwards has outsnapped him by a large amount since then. Brian Edwards hasn't been below 75% uh, snap count since week four. So Edwards is playing above Henry Ruggs and... Yeah, I, I stick with it. This is not as blatantly obvious a loss as the Marquise Brown or the Debo Samuel where they just went on a tear because he did come back to earth after that. He's still a usable wide receiver three on any given week, so I can't take the full victory lap, but still with the same conviction of get rid of Henry Ruggs if you can. If you want to get a piece of that Raiders offense, get Brian Edwards just looking into the future. I don't think Derek Carr is the quarterback to unlock Brian Edwards. I think he's a lot more talented, but car just only has eyes for slot white wide receivers and tight ends so it's just not going to happen this year i don't think next week week four all right back in the win column very back and forth hit or miss but i told you this was right before the chris carson injury i told you to sell if you were a rebuilder yeah and he hasn't played since so oh there you go (laughs) yeah uh great great move Uh, he was obviously a pretty fragile asset to begin with uh you told him to sell and then he has yet to put up another fantasy point so Great move. I mean, this is just, a, it's an A. Just think about what we were talking about earlier about how fast the landscape changes in the NFL. Think about where their perception was of Chris Carson when we were talking about him as a sell four weeks ago as a pair, compared to what it is now. I think on that show we said you could go out and get a second-round pick for Chris Carson, and we were both in agreement with that. I don't know if you can get a second-round pick for Chris Carson right now. No, absolutely not. Uh, I don't and think it's, so. It's less than a month later. Yeah. Just how fast things change. Yeah, especially with running backs. I mean, when they hit that cliff or once they start tacking on some injuries, stacking those up, players mm-hmm. just want to get away from them, which is obviously the smart thing to do. Um, and that's exactly what you told us to do. And if we did that, great. We, we all we all made money. That was a good, was a good move for sure. 
And week five, who's your last one on week five? I stayed in the running back room where I told you to get rid of Chase Edmonds if you are a contender. Yeah, so the big concern with Chase Edmonds was always the lack of touchdowns, right? And guess what? He hasn't Weird. scored a touchdown again. So so you're on pace there. I think that was a good move. Um, other than that, I mean, he had four rushes that the week after that. He had four targets, three targets the week after that. He had 15 rushes against Houston, but that was a blowout. So unless they're going to be up by – you know, 25 points each game. I don't think he's going to nearly see the rushing attempts that he saw, uh, which was a season high last week against the Texans, because James Conner has been that guy that they've yep. entrusted with the rushing yards. And not to mention Chase Edmonds, and I brought it up when you made the argument initially, he's 26 years old. Um, he's not like a young back, or he's almost 26. He's like 25 mm-hmm. and then 200 yeah. days, right? Uh, so he's almost 26 years old. He's not a young back, and if he's not – if he's not in your lineup right now and you're a contender, you want to get rid of him because in a year he's going to be almost 27 years old and nobody's going to want to buy him. So if you sell him now on the best team that he's ever been on in terms of the perception of the Arizona Cardinals right now, the 7-0 Arizona Cardinals, everything around Chase Edmonds said sell after week five. And I think I think it was a good move. I'll give you and a, after a week B five. plus on this. Hey, I'll take that. After week five, back-to-back games, he's outscored by James Conner. Like you said, he's been the more reliable back in that backfield. And James Conner, it's crazy how the perception of James Conner is just sort of old and busted, whereas with Chase Edmonds, it's new and fresh when there's a year difference between the two. Like there, There's a lot more mileage, obviously, on James Conner, but he's been the best back in that f- backfield by far. I will say, if you still feel this sentiment, it's going to be tough to sell after the last three weeks of meh performances and dud performances, but Thursday night football. Packers, whole, half the team is on the shelf. I expect Arizona to have this one in foot. And in those blowout games, like you're saying, they do seem to rely a little bit more on Chase Edmonds. After that, they have San Francisco and then Carolina, Seattle, and a bye. So three of their next performances, three of their next four performances, very running back friendly matchup. So if you still feel this way, I think another window is going to open up leading up to that week 12 bye. Yeah, and that was the last one we have stacked up here. So, what do you, what do you think? What's your uh, what's your feeling towards these rebuilder and contender buys and sell so far? So, I still like where my buys were last week. I feel like I did a really solid job on that one. With the sells, I still I, I still won more than I lost. Of the seven guys I told you to sell, I think four were no doubt wins, and then there's a fifth in probably Henry Ruggs that's maybe somewhere in between. Maybe Jerry's still out. But the thing is, those two L's I took in Debo and Marquise Brown at this part of the season, those really hurt. Like, I can't talk my way out of those ones. Those were tough calls, and you sold at the wrong time, unfortunately. Yeah, when it comes to when it comes to analyzing fantasy players and, and all this stuff, the losses always hit way harder. <laughs> sure. And, and uh, yeah, that Debo, Marquise Brown stuff, that, that was rough. I mean, my Trey Sermon and Miles Sanders calls in terms of bias, yeah. that was rough. Uh, yeah, but, I, th- I think you're in the same breath though, where yeah. most of your most of your wins were still wins. It's just <laughs> you're winning on the margins, and your losses were so evident in Trey Sermon, Miles Sanders, Debo, and Marquise Brown. Like, there's no argument to be made for those four guys. Don't let that overshadow the other nine guys that we told you to buy or sell that just happened to hit <laughs> at the right time. Yeah, and then nobody wants to pat themselves in the back, but I think we did pretty damn well, and. Uh... You know, we yeah, have we definitely last week and this week have way more W's than we do else. We have 10 more weeks of the season to go. Right? We're heading to week eight. 
and we're going to be hitting some more rebuilders and contenders, buys and sells coming up this upcoming week. So look out for our next calls. And uh, I don't plan on missing anymore about you. Yeah, got to be better. Got got to be much better. (laughs) Only getting five out of seven wins. Five and two is not an okay record for me. Always better. (laughs) All right. You know what it's time for now? Final segment. Hit it. Send it. All right, I've had this one in the holster. We're not in the holster, I guess, in the barrel. I've had I've had this one ready to go for two weeks. Oh boy! Do you remember Jeremy Langford? Oh yeah, Jeremy. He played for the Bears. Did he? Did he actually play? He was supposed to play. I I will always remember him because it was 2015, and you and I were in a startup together. And he was a hot name around Chicago because he was supposed to be the predecessor to Matt Forte as the next receiving bell cow for Chicago. Never manifested anything close to what people were expecting. And I, of course, love to watch Chicago Bears fail. So this one hit extra sweet for me. Yeah. Um, Where did he – what college did he go to? It's it's on the tip of my tongue. Was it like a Michigan State guy? Yeah, Michigan State. There you go. He was a spotting. Yeah. Yeah. Michigan State has actually pumped out some good backs. I mean, not that Jeremy Langford. Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> Le'Veon Bell, the highlight, right? Yeah. I mean, the guy that's playing there right now, Michael, Michael sure. Walker or Jonathan Walker. I can't remember his name. Uh, but he's leading the, the nation in rushing right now. He's probably going to be go. one of the top backs in the draft come 2022. I mean, so I'll get it's no you. Oklahoma, but nah. yeah, pretty good running backs. Yeah. But for, for a, like a B-list program like Michigan State, I mean, at least they're probably uh, A basketball first program. Yeah. yeah that's for sure. Yeah, he, he ended up playing Jeremy Langford after that 2015 draft. So 2016, he played 12 games for the Bears, finished as the RB 61, 62 attempts, 200 yards, and four touchdowns on the season. He did have 19 catches for a buck 42, which is, I guess, solid in 12 games. But who, who was a bigger miss, Jeremy Langford or what was the name of the guy for uh, Tennessee that everyone loved for like six years, that Tennessee uh, running back? Bishop Sankey. Bishop Sankey, yeah. Who is a bigger <laughs> miss, Jeremy Langford or Bishop Sankey? Uh, probably Bishop Sankey. I, I feel like I remember so. more hype about Bishop Sankey than Jeremy Langford. Because it lasted several years. Jeremy Langford was just one year, and then everyone was back out. But the Bishop Sankey, it was like every two for like two or three years. There is this is his year. This is going to be the uh, Bishop Sankey breakout. Jeremy Langford was a 24 year old rookie in 2015. Oh, jeez. What do you play six years in college? Yeah, Jesus. right. Yeah, that's. I mean, no wonder you didn't break out. You come to the league as at like the peak of what you could ever be. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you're already like halfway well. through your prime. Yeah. yeah like, All right, bigger yeah. whiff for Chicago: Jeremy Langford or Kevin White? Kevin White for sure. Yeah, gotta be first yeah, round. Gotta, pick, gotta, right? gotta be Kevin White. <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> chance. Someone said he's still in the league. Is he really still in the league? Yeah. I I do believe, dude, he's bounced around for practice squads and low end of rosters for several years now. And he will always represent my greatest dynasty trade failure (laughs) when right before, when it was the rookie year of Juju Smith-Schuster and Marlon Mack, and I traded them both to Hauser for Kevin White and, I don't know, some other piece that didn't matter. And just by far the (laughs) worst trade I've ever made in my life, just because I was so sold on Kevin White, and yeah, good call on that one. Yeah, Juju had like the best rookie wide receiver season that we've seen in yeah. years. Marlon yeah. Mack took like two years, and he was a top 20 running back, and yeah. yeah. 
And uh, not to mention, like, dude, if, if you're not a backup quarterback in the NFL, like, the next best spot to be in is, like, a bust first-round wide receiver. Because you can just bounce around. You can just travel the just country. Keep getting shots. Get, keep yeah, getting chances. Getting a paycheck from, you know, eight different sure. teams over five years. Travel in like, the world. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, screw it. I mean, like, Brashad Perriman, he yeah, has been one. on 18 teams. Uh, another guy that was in that same draft, I can't remember, uh, Laquan Treadwell. He's been around, bouncing around. Treadwell, yeah. Uh, yeah, be a, be a first-round bus wide receiver and you'll make it all over the league. Just like the draft capital is what people talk about all the time is that's going to get you on the field faster. It's also going to get you into more and more facilities. Yeah, absolutely. Even when you don't deserve it. All right. <laughs> we it, don't uh... deserve it. But if you want to follow us on Twitter, hit us up at F Flexecution for all the latest breaking news around the league. Make sure you follow F Flexecution Fantasy Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at FF Master Debater. Hope you guys learned something. Have a good one. Peace. It's that flexibility.